This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we are film women. It's the holidays. What a time of the year it is. Am I right, Danielle? What a fucking year. I mean, I feel like we don't need to give many updates because we both had a couple of highs, but it's mostly been the worst year of our lives. (laughs) Truly, truly, truly. So I don't oh think we need God. to dig into it, but I'm just going to say I'm glad it's fucking ending. And yeah. uh, personally, can't wait for 2024. I hope the world is better in 2024. Uh, but yeah, my year was bullshit. Pure oh, yeah. bullshit. Like <laughs> one of the top worst years of my life. Which is, at one, you know, At one point I was like, I was like, oh, is this the worst year of my adult life or like my entire life? And I'm like, definitely the worst year of my adult life, but it's 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 rivaling one of the worst years of my actual life as well. Yeah. This, this year is as bad as the year that I almost died. Let's just say that. So what what a reference point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, I mean, and who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? But I'm just saying up until this point, those are the those are your top two, folks. Um <laughs> But it's almost over, and we're mm. in the holiday season, and uh, I've got a pretty good Christmas FMK for you. <laughs> I am so excited by this. It is epic. It is long and epic. and It is epic. Wait. And it was sent in by a listener named Kay, who uses she, her pronouns. Hello, Epic Kay here. I sent in a question about epic movies a few months ago, and you read it on a bonus podcast, and now my family calls me Epic K. (laughs) I fucking love that. I just got to stop and say, I love that. Okay, so I was telling my sisters about uh, FMK, and we started doing Christmas. I thought they were so fun, I would share them with you. So we have five rounds (laughs) from Epic K of Epic Christmas FMKs. Are you ready for round one? I I am bracing myself, but yes, I am. Round one is Santas. So we have Scott Calvin, the Santa Claus, Tim Allen. Santa, the Christmas Chronicles, Kurt Russell. And Santa from Elf, Ed Asner. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Uh, am I going first? You're going first. Okay. I'm going to do this out of order. Sorry. Uh, killing Scott Calvin. Kill, kill, kill. I don't know. That's just the whole, like, every clip and every still that I've seen of Tim Allen in this movie is unsettling. And yes. I want to kill him dead. So that's happening. Solid. The rest is 
pretty, I think, Millie appropriate. I am definitely fucking Kurt Russell as Santa. That might be an actual fetish I have. <laughs> removed from the film that he was in, The Christmas Chronicles. That's just is something I think about. And then we're going to marry Ed Asner and Santa. Well, because, of course. What about you? Ed Asner and Elf. Um, yeah, this is pretty easy for me because I am fucking Ed Asner. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even going to explain it. I'm fucking Ed Asner. And guess what? I've never seen Elf. I don't even know if his character is different from his regular <laughs> persona in that movie. I'm literally fucking Ed Asner <laughs> as what, like whatever character he played fine in Elf, but yeah. that's where I'm going. I'm going to marry Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. and I'm killing Tim Allen yeah. in the Santa Claus. I can't with Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. It ain't happening. There's nothing yeah. sexy about it. Not like he's supposed to be. I mean, I guess it would be weird if it was sexy. Yeah. Like this ch- children's movie about Santa Claus, and you're like, I wouldn't fuck him, but you know what? That's how we play the game. Yeah, I kind of can't with Tim Allen all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. I always thought he was a weird celebrity for some reason. I don't know why I think, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think think this tracks for you. I love uh, fucking Ed Asner. I just think that's very special for this time of the year. (laughs) My taste is hard to pin down, (laughs) but it's pretty... Easy to understand. (laughs) Uh, Round two, Mm. we have badass Santas. Mm. So we have Mm -hmm. Willie, Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa. Santa, David Harbour in Violent Night. And Louis Winthorpe, Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places. Who are you going to fuck, marry, and kill? Oh, God. This is is weird for me. (laughs) Why? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm confident at least one of them, but then I'm not, now I'm like, what are the other two going to be? I don't. Hmm. Hmm. This is so easy for me. I can't wait to hear your answers. Okay. okay. So I'm definitely going to fuck David Harbor as Santa in Violent Night, just because. I mean, come on. <laughs> we know why. Ah! He's he's not a bear icon for nothing. Okay. Uh. Uh, he, uh, he revolutionized the dad bod, and then he got really fit. Yeah, I would. I would still climb that tree so quickly. Um, <laughs> that's haunting. Uh, can't believe I just said that. Uh, oh my god! I am probably gonna marry Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa. And this is where it was hard for me because I was like, I could kill him too. I mean, not gonna lie, I could kill him too. But I don't know. I I I, I don't know. It was it was a hard choice. So ultimately, that means I am killing Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, and um, maybe that's just because I haven't seen Trading Places in a long time. And uh, yeah, I always liked Eddie Murphy more in that movie. So I don't know. But I like Dan well, Aykroyd. I always I always liked Dan Aykroyd. But I'm just saying, in this one, now. Nah. Well, guess what? We have the same exact answers. Yeah! <laughs> of course I'm fucking David Harbour. Mm. I don't even think we need to explain that, but I will. David Harbour is incredibly hot mm. in all 
different bodies that he has embodied throughout his life and career. Yes. Uh, he's interesting and funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, his architectural digest tour of his apartment before he got married was delightful. What? Oh, I didn't know this. What? Oh, shit, yeah. And then he did another one with Lily Allen after he got married. Wait, is he British? No. Okay. Maybe the harbor thing threw me off. <laughs> harbor. 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 Um, David Harbor. Wait a minute. Okay. Is it is it as good as the... Because, um, you know, my favorite architectural digest glimpse, which I guess is like grown-up cribs. Do you feel yeah, that? Pretty much. Don't you think that Absolutely. architectural digest is grown-up cribs? Um, Absolutely. But Jason Statham, when they did the Jason Statham one, and I was like, oh my god, he's like yep. into mid-century modern furniture. Um, it's on par. Oh my god. It's on par. You're gonna have a good time after we record this episode. Oh watching. dang, I just looked at the picture. Mm-hmm. Yes, And there's ma'am. two of them. There's two of them. So, of course, I'm fucking David Harbour. He's a fucking national treasure. Yeah. And Violent Night is hilarious. Yeah. And he's the hottest of the three. Yeah. Um, I am going to marry Billy Bob Thornton simply because I cannot wait to kill Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would kill Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places first and hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then carry on with the rest of the list. But Billy Bob is kind of a, a consolation prize, the marriage. Sure. Um, but he was pretty hot when he was with Angelina. And he's always out doing music and producing. Like, he's always away. Yeah. I don't think away. I'm going to be hanging out in Arkansas. How like, I'm not going to have to. <laughs> he needs yeah. to be away as much as possible to marry him. He's always he's always out of the house. And that's the perfect marriage for me is don't be in my goddamn face. So. Yeah. That's solid. Same answers. I love it. I love it, too. This next round Mm. is Mm. interesting for me. Me too. Me too. So the next round that Epic K has given us is the Bah Humbug round. Okay. And we have Clint Briggs, played by Ryan Reynolds in Spirited. Frank Cross, played by Bill Murray in Scrooged. And the Grinch from The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, Jim Carrey. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh my God. Strangely complicated for me, this one. Strangely complicated, and I might regret everything that I'm about to say. (laughs) Those are my favorite fucking FMK rounds. Okay. All right, here we go. Okay. I think I'm going to fuck the Grinch. I think I'm going to fuck Jim Carrey. (laughs) I I don't know why. I don't know what that could be like. It's going to be weird. Guaranteed to be weird. That's my new ringtone. I think I'm going to fuck the Grinch. Um, <laughs> I I will say that I've never been sexually attracted to the Grinch, you know, <laughs> traditionally. I like I, this is uncharted territory for me. I'm going to admit it. It is. It would be a weird evening for sure. Um, I might have to, you know take a bath the next day and remove my skin with <laughs> rubbing alcohol or something. I don't know, but I'm just You'd saying. You'd have to take a, a Meredith Baxter Bernie lifetime shower. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and it'll just be the Those night are... that will haunt me forever. Um, <laughs> but you're doing so like, it willingly. You're entering this willingly. Yeah. Even if it haunts you. Yeah. Ve- it's going right. to be very weird, and I guess I'm prepared for that in some way. Um, here's what I'm going to do, though. I mean, this feels a little a little standard. I mean, I'm going to marry Clint Briggs because I have to say, 
Ryan Reynolds is not necessarily the type that I would be with forever, but out of, I guess, Hollywood dudes, I could marry him. He seems kind of charming. He owns a cell phone company. He owns a fucking soccer team in England? Yeah. He would just be like my boring bro husband that would like go off and do bro things with his buddies and then... I'd be at home and he'd, you know, we'd pass in the night. Uh, and, I, and I like him. I think he, he would be sweet and uh, attentive. But, you know, is he David Harbour? No. No one's, no one's David <laughs> Harbour. <laughs> in I'm, terms of sexual, <laughs> the, the, the anima yeah. of that sexual being. He would be a steady partner. I think that's kind of what I mean by that. But he's not like the first guy that I think of. And then so that means we're killing Frank Cross. And it's just because he's so grouchy. Wow. Like, too grouchy for me. All right. I, this all tracks for me. Yeah. I love it. I think for me, Ryan Reynolds was the the... Spoke in the wheel. Yes, absolutely. That made this less easy for me. So good mm. job, K. Um, good job, Epic K, because that was the one that I was like, hmm, that really changes things. Mm. Um, but I am also gonna fuck the Grinch. Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And much like some of my other FMK answers, like Wolfman and fucking <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as Rambo. You don't know what's going to happen, and I feel like it could be a good time. <laughs> it's going to be a weird time. It's going to be a good time. You have I might never been up, afraid of a weird time. You have never I'm been afraid, afraid of a weird, of a weird time. time. You can put that on my goddamn tombstone. Everyone I've ever fucked will concur. <laughs> you don't have to write in. I remember, but they will concur. <laughs> wow. I'm not afraid of a weird time. Yeah. I almost prefer it. I almost prefer it. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a story. I'm going to fuck the Grinch. I mean, there will be Christmas lights involved somehow. I'm sure there will be a lot of um, shouting. Mm-hmm. A lot of frowning. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell the Grinch's O face looks like, but I'm going to find out. Yeah, you're going to, for sure. I'm going to find out. And I'm just going to butt in here and say, um, my neighbors are leaf blowing so if you hear any humming in the background, it's because they still haven't done their fall cleanup, and I guess it's happening today. Oh, great. Thanks for checking in. Appreciate yeah. that. Oh. I, I already did my fall cleanup because I'm, you know, a very responsible homeowner. Yeah. Um, I am going to marry Frank Cross. <laughs> mm. Bill mm. Murray and Scrooge. Wow. Because he is always at work. He's always at that goddamn station. There you go. <laughs> so he can take his crotchety ass attitude to work. And when he is around, he doesn't have a lot of family. He doesn't care about his family. And you know me, I love an orphan or I love someone who is not close to their family. There you go. It don't tracks. bring me to Thanksgiving. <laughs> don't don't bring me to Thanksgiving. Don't make me go to your weird family Thanksgivings and we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, And I'm... I think that means I'm going to kill Clint. Mm. I'm killing Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Because got to. for all the reasons that you're going to marry him, I'm going to kill him because he's a little boring. Yeah, it's a thin line. It's a thin line. For it's sure. A thin, it's, a, it's, it's the, he's delightful and charming, yes. 
but I feel like I would so easily hurt his feelings every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I could almost just, guarantee just that. Just by being myself, just by being my triple Gemini direct-ass self, mm-hmm. I feel like I would hurt his feelings. And I can't have a man crying in my house all day. I can have him crying in my house sometimes. I appreciate a good cry every once in a while. Right. But not at Christmas. So Clint's got to go. <laughs> Goodbye, Clint. Well, this, this, to be honest, this completely makes sense for you. So... <laughs> But I do love that we're both fucking the Grinch, reluctantly, <laughs> but enthusiastically. See, and yeah, and I love that we're doing that, too, because, like I said, you're not afraid of a little weird. I'm terrified of weird, so I I had to go, <laughs> I had to do some mental gymnastics for that one. But I'm glad we ended up in the same spot. I mean, Jesus. Wow. Ooh, that was that was a good round, Kay. Yeah, Thank you. That was tough. So this fourth round. Oh, I don't know. Fourth of, fi- of five. And... Kay's going there. I'm sweating. This is, I don't even know what to say. Kay is giving us elves for this round. So we have Buddy, Will Ferrell, an elf. Hermie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He's the one who wants to be the dentist. And Bernard the Head Elf from Santa Claus, played by David Krumholtz. Fuck, Mary kill. One of them is a cartoon. <laughs> One of them is a stop-motion animated cartoon situation. Okay. When it comes to the taxonomy of, like, Christmas folks, I elves are very low on my list in terms of any of this. Like, I... Absolutely. I'd rather fuck a reindeer than an elf. Do you know what I mean? I'm six feet tall. You don't have to explain that to me. <laughs> I am 6 0 <gasps> Elves are weird to think about sexually. I'll just throw that out there. Um, <laughs> is it the hat? Is it the hat? Yeah. Is it the shoes? And, and they're and they're just like uh, it's kind of like a, stuck in a uh, suspended adolescence type of vibe. Yes. Um. Yeah. The childlike thing doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, this is how it's going to shake loose. Okay, I am going to fuck. David Crumholtz, because I am also just generally attracted to David Crumholtz and always have been. Uh, really? Oh yeah. I David Crumholtz is so cute and charming to me. Oh my goodness, I never knew this about you. Oh my gosh. I mean shit, when I saw him in Oppenheimer, I was like, yeah, I'd still hit it. I don't know why, but I would. You've got a bare ass naked Killian Murphy sitting in a chair. <laughs> And I'm like, ooh, who is this nebbish guy in glasses? <laughs> move the camera. Move the camera. <laughs> Swing it to the right. No, David Crumholtz <laughs> is so funny and charming. I don't know yeah, what he's, he's like adorable. in real life. I'm just, I'm just saying uh, I, I, I'm informed by all the roles that, that I've seen him in in movies my entire life. But anyway. But I will say this. He seems like the only person on this list that I could be naked with because the rest of this list is bad. Like, like <laughs> I, I'm assuming I'll just marry Hermie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, and we'll, we'll just, we're just going to have like a very sexless platonic marriage. I suppose you're going to, you're going to help him be a dentist. You'll be like the, the front of the house of the dental organization. Yeah. It will be sexless, but you will be fine. You'll be able to cook what you want. Yeah. I get it. Because, I mean, just think about the logistics of that. I mean, if the moment you 
you lay down with him, you could smash his clay body so easily. (laughs) 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 Just (laughs) so impractical. Plus, he's like a baby. He's like a baby, right? A baby character? I don't know. Um, (laughs) And and we're we're killing Buddy because so annoying. He's just so annoying. (laughs) And also... A a child trapped in a giant man's body. And we've already fucked enough of those. Yes. Yes. Already gone there. This is incredible news. Yeah, this is weird. This is a weird, <laughs> weird round. I am I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. This is the weirdest round, and this is the hardest round for me, weird strangely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because whenever you throw a cartoon or a child into the mix, I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. It's like the so time I, that we had to like think about marrying Wednesday Adams or something like that. <laughs> Do you remember that? We were like, what? <laughs> That's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, I am going to fuck David Crumholtz as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same reasoning. Yep. Adorable. Yep. Little nebbishy. I yep. feel like he'd get annoyed real easy. And just, like, want to be through it sometimes. <laughs> and as much as I like a weird fuck, I'm also down for a fast fuck sometimes. Not everything can be, like, an epic session. <laughs> so, like, an annoyed fuck is fine sometimes. Yeah. So David uh-huh. Crumb holds for sure. Um, I'm absolutely killing Buddy. I've never seen Elf because every clip I see with Will Ferrell in it makes me think it's the most annoying movie on the planet. Yeah, I've seen it one time just to get the references, but there are there's a certain type of person that really celebrates that movie. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Didn't want to say it, but I'm with you. Yep, yep, yep. And that means I'm marrying Hermie. And look, it's going to be miserable, but I'm hoping that he's either always at the office or constantly fucking around with... uh you know, his other reindeer friends. <laughs> like, he's got a, a job one day out of the goddamn year. <laughs> so I hope the rest of the year is just, like, training as if he was Rocky in Rocky Four, like, running through snow and lifting up banisters and shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have that much else to do. So I'm like, all right, it'll be miserable. You're a fucking reindeer and yeah. a cartoon. Yeah. And you want to be a goddamn dentist. Like, the combination is not high on my list for mar- marriageable material. Yeah. But I cannot fuck or marry <laughs> Buddy the Elf. That's too much. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bridge too far. Even though he's a human man, I can't do it. I would rather marry a fucking cartoon reindeer. Yeah, you'd rather fuck a Grinch than you would... I'd rather fuck a Grinch than yeah. do anything with Buddy the Elf except kill him. Yes, Totally on board with that. Totally on board. Uh, another round. We have the same answers. I love it. Mm. Now, this next one, too much Christmas spirit. Is, is this what the Epic last K one? Has given us. This is the last one. Okay, okay. And our options for too much Christmas spirit are George Bailey, James Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life, Bob Cratchit, Gary Oldman from A Christmas Carol, also animated, and Clark Griswold. Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation. Oh, this is easy for me. Ooh, bring it on. This is a hard one for me. Really? Really? Okay. Well, 
an interestingly hard one for me. All right. My answers are as follows. I'm going to fuck George Bailey from It's Wonderful Life. I know what you're thinking. Oh, you should marry him because he's the, he's the marrying type. No, you should fuck him. Do you see Thank that you. look that he gives um, Donna Reed when she's on the telephone? I mean, come on. Mm. That's passion, baby. I mean, he I he's it. he's about he's like chomping at the bit to undress her while she's on the damn telephone. I'm like, George, damn, George. Maybe if he got laid a little bit, he wouldn't be going through this fucking psychotic break. <laughs> I'd be the lady to do it for, you know, I'd just be like, <laughs> you feeling down? Let's have let's have some grog and have a real good time, George. Oh, yeah, he would definitely be like meet him at uh, the end of a bar. <laughs> You're already drunk. He just started drinking and you're like, we're doing it. You've already made your mind up. Yeah. Shit, man. We could be like rolling around in the sack and have all those neighbors come throw dollars at us and stuff. It would be like <laughs> ma- magic city up in there. It would be great. Like, he would do a lap around town screaming at the end of every sesh. Yes. So yeah, I'm we're gonna I'm gonna hit it, George Bailey. Uh sex god George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Now I don't know. This this is this is going to probably put me on the barbecue after I, I reveal <laughs> this, but here here goes nothing. I am going to marry Bob Cratchit slash Gary Oldman, which means I'm going to kill Clark Griswold. <laughs> and I'm only killing him because it pisses all of you off so much. Ooh. Do a little pro- provocative yes. answers here. Yes, because... Why do you think it would piss people off? Because people fucking love Clark Griswold. Do you know this about America? People love him so much. Do you know this? Have you met America? Have you met a man our age, for Christ's sake? Even though in the entire first vacation movie, he spends the entire trip like basically trying to have sex with another woman that's not his wife, and he tries to uh-huh. seduce her with a sandwich. Have we done this movie on the podcast before? Maybe no, we need to. we haven't. But ever we since then, I'm like, it. yo, Clark, I'm on to you. I know all these dudes love you and want to dress like you and want to wear your shorts and polos, but I'm, I'm on to you. You gotta die. Sorry. The only fuckable person in the Christmas Vacation franchise or the vacation franchise, I should say, but especially the Christmas vacation movie, is uh, Randy Quaid. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'll die on that hill. (laughs) And I'm not going to explain it. That's a Grinch fuck. That's a weird fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going there. It's the end of the the year. In the shittiest year of our lives, might as well get weird and crazy, right? Listen, we're not mentally intact but while we're answering these, but it's the rawest and realest that we can get in this shit year that we've had. So now I got to know what your answers are. Okay, I have to crack a new Diet Coke for this one. Do it. Crack it in DC. Ooh. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. I am going to fuck Bob Cratchit. <laughs> I figure, actually. And you know what? I can't explain it. It's a fucking cartoon. It's Gary Oldman. I I have to fuck him because the other two are so 
sincere for me mm. <laughs> that I have. You have to marry George Bailey. <laughs> you have to. I know you gave all the reasons why you don't have to, <laughs> but I feel like you have to marry George Bailey. Yeah, because he's just an innocent weirdo out in the world. Sure, and he needs your help to survive. <laughs> he's like a Frankenstein's monster level man. Yeah. <laughs> Just learning about emotions and freewheeling <laughs> out in the world. And I simply have to f- marry him because there is no other choice. You have to kill Chevy Chase's Clark Griswold. You cannot fuck or marry that dude. This is me. I'm, that- cl- I'm clapping. You know, I clap a lot on this podcast. Did you did you know that? Um, but my clap, this is a very um, uh, Orson Welles and Citizen Kane clap. Meaning I am... <laughs> I am in total agreement with you. So satisfied by your answer. That may, I think Clark Griswold, and I will write an essay about this one day. I think Clark Griswold ushered in an era of laziness and shittiness in dads that has yet to subside. (laughs) I fucking love you. going to hold Clark Griswold personally responsible for the representation of all the dickwads we have to deal with now, either as our own dads, as people that people have had children with, or people that you want to have children with. He is the worst prototype. And again, that Reagan era ushered in the worst kind of dad. He has had a chokehold on modern American masculinity for years. And it is time we do something about it. We have better representations of what it means to be a dude at Christmas. Might I refer you back to David Harbour? (laughs) Or the goddamn Grinch. I would much prefer an America that had Grinch energy. If you're, if every dad had Grinch energy at Christmas, I think we'd be in a better place as a country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are inflammatory takes from both of us. <laughs> there are people literally like closing out the podcast app of their choice being like, fuck these women. How dare they? I think there are many more people that are like, Giving us the Orson Welles slow clap. (laughs) We hope. I hope. (laughs) I see you. I salute you. Join us on our weird journey. (laughs) Oh, my God. Incredible, Kay. Thank you so much. You are definitely epic. Yeah. And we appreciate this so much. Absolutely the best. Well, if they weren't closing their podcast apps from the FMK, they're going to be closing those apps once they start talking about this week's picks. Oh, my God. No kidding. We're going out with a fucking bang, girl. Um, <laughs> this was unforgivable. <laughs> Your choice this week was unfucking forgivable <laughs> I had to save this movie for the absolute end of the year because I have so much to say. I have so much passion and I I don't even know. I I mean, I pretty much told you before we started recording, I was like, you're going to have to rein this in for me because I I could go off the rails very easily. 
I think you should. I think this movie calls for going (laughs) off the rails. But do you want to tell them the theme first? Yes, I do. So, as you probably guessed, our theme this week is Christmas assholes. It's our annual tradition. We do it every year. We pick two movies and uh, talk about who the Christmas asshole or assholes are in the films, right? Absolutely. I don't think anything's going to top Home Alone. We (laughs) both had stunning, (laughs) stunning revelations last year about that film. Kevin is dead, and his dad might have been a college rapist. I'm just saying. (laughs) Nothing will top that. You chop a critic is what I think you said. (laughs) Which, to this day, whenever somebody says that word, I laugh because of how often you said it in our last year's episode. (laughs) Chappaquiddick vibes. The McAllister family gives me Chappaquiddick vibes. Well, and and that I think is the the joy for me in the Christmas assholes episodes is because you have to basically defend your choice. You have, <laughs> you have to tell us what about this movie created a Christmas asshole? Why the why the person is a Christmas asshole? And as we know, Christmas assholes can be genderless, ageless. Sometimes they're inanimate objects. I feel like we've talked about yeah. that in the past. Like. All bets are off when it comes to Christmas assholes, for sure. It's possibly my favorite t- my favorite episode of the year. Yeah, me too. Me too. I love every episode, but it's possibly my favorite. Um, and also, I cannot wait to talk about your movie because, first of all, I want to say think these two these two films are very much like a, a new Christmas tradition. I would say. I mean, especially your mm-hmm. film and my film too. You know, recently in the past, like I don't know, ten years or so. But yep. your film, I have not seen it in a in a while. It's been probably, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight years since I've seen it. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen my movie in full in several years. I've seen, caught parts of it on cable here mm. and there. Um, but I haven't seen it in full in a long time. And it's it's changed some, some of my opinions. Uh, I, my opinions have, have changed. I totally agree. Well, one thing I need to say about your film before you jump in, I watched your movie with a friend because I made some soup and I had a friend come over and I was like, hey, I have to watch this movie for the podcast if you want to watch it. And he was like, yeah, cool. And (laughs) so I put on Die Hard. He fell asleep instantly. He always does. Falls asleep in every movie within five minutes of me turning it on. I knew that was going to happen, but it was hilarious. Woke up. During, like, fell asleep. I played all of Die Hard, started <laughs> eyes wide shut, and he woke up right at the moment of the sex party. No, no. And I'm like, this is a, a feat <laughs> that only men can <laughs> can accomplish. I think. Oh yeah, it's like, like they they hear the clarion call of, <laughs> of sex titties. on screen, and they're like, <laughs> move out of my way. What was hilarious is he woke up and kind of like looked around for a minute and then he goes, is this a bad movie? I went right back to sleep and I'm like, solid. Had he seen the, uh, Eyes Wide Shut before? Yeah. He's like, I just can't, I can't remember if it was bad or not. And then oh. just went back to sleep. And I was like, all right. He said I'm a on the couch. He said a mouthful. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's kind of, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about it, about that. And I wish, now I wish he was on the podcast to talk about what <laughs> 
<laughs> I would have loved <laughs> to have heard that perspective. Well, you're first, so. Yeah. Okay, so my movie for the theme, Christmas Assholes, is from 1999. It was written by Stanley Kubrick and Frederick Raphael, based on the book Trom Novelle by Arthur Schnitzler. It was, of course, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It's called Eyes Wide Shut. Men have to stick it in every place they can, but for women, women, it is just about security and commitment and whatever the fuck else. A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that. If you men only knew. I'm going to do a one-sentence synopsis right now. Good luck. (laughs) A married guy loses his goddamn mind... Descending into a creepy sexual underworld run by rich white elites after his wife smokes a joint one night and admits to him that she had a fantasy of sleeping with another man. Absolute fucking perfection. The fact that this whole movie takes place because his wife had a thought. <laughs> Makes him the quintessential Christmas asshole. That is absolutely what I'm about to present to you (laughs) right now. (laughs) We are aligned on the thesis, for sure. Simpatico, simpatico. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. First of all, had, had you seen this movie when it came out? Did you see it when it came out? I did. I did too, in the theater by the way. Yep. There is a lot of mythology around this movie back then and now even. I remember before this movie came out, right? I was a full-ass adult, uh, you know, processing what, what movies are coming out soon. It was chaos before this movie came out. Like, mm-hmm. the press was so up in arms about what this movie was, what what they'd heard, like, there was just so much about this film, right? They had pretty much no information about what it was actually going to be about or what was actually going on on set. I remember also there being so much vitriol after it came out. Like, Mm -hmm. and so when I was doing research, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Wouldn't it be great to go back and, like, read all this stuff? Let me just tell you, there are so many bad takes about this movie. Like, I made the mistake of going to fucking Reddit. Oh, damn. And it is... You really wanted to end your year with a fucking bang. Listen, it, if you, it is a cesspool of conspiracy theories and, like, the darkest film nerd takes about this movie. It's so insane. <laughs> I would not recommend it. I haven't done it, but I also wouldn't recommend it. I mean... There is generally a lot of mythology about Stanley Kubrick. I mean, people think that he faked the moon landing, for Christ's sake. Like, (laughs) a lot of people have too much time on their hands. They do. And, like, so on some level, I expect this level of nerdery around Eyes Wide Shut, but I was, like, not prepared after I did research. Here's the things that I've distilled, and just the sort of simple things that you need to know about this movie, Okay. Number one, this was Stanley Kubrick's last film, very last film. He died six days after he screened what was at that point the final cut of this film to the studio heads at Warner Brothers. It was the first movie that he had made in 12 years. The last one that he had made was Full Metal Jacket in 1987. 
It took 400 days to shoot. Fuck. A typical movie takes like 30 to 60. Yes. It is actually in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest continuous film shoot ever. Good Lord. The entire production was shrouded in mystery. There were many rumors about what was happening on the set and what the film was about. Many of it was wrong, by the way. It starred probably the most famous married couple in the modern Hollywood era who divorced roughly a year or so after this film was released. Mm -hmm. And it was purposely intended to be a salacious sexual film for adults, but because Kubrick died before it was officially released, it was heavily altered by the studio in order to get an R rating, including using CGI to cover these kind of graphic sexual scenes. So that's a lot already about this movie. That is so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I will, I will throw in there this, and this is just mostly for me to orient myself on how to feel about this movie. Now we're talking about 1999 here, right? Like this is a weird era for culture. I think we've talked about this before on prior episodes. Mm -hmm. I call it a low point for feminism. Uh, uh, You know, we were in this kind of like boy band, you know, American Pie era of Mm -hmm. like sexuality was, was, was very strange in this era. And I will point y'all to the episodes that Karina Longworth did about this movie uh, as part of her erotic 90s series. She goes really hard on that, and I think it's really, really interesting. But uh, it's it's also a good way to kind of talk through kind of, yeah, the way that culture was, the way that Hollywood was at this moment in 1999. So anyway, yeah. listen to that, please. And just generally, listen to her. She's great. We've had her on the podcast before. But um, okay. Okay, so this movie is about a married couple named Bill and Alice, who are obviously played by Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Bill is a doctor. Alice is a stay-at-home mom of one. They have a daughter named Helena. Uh, They've been married for nine years, I think. And at the very beginning of this movie, they attend this Christmas party that's being thrown by this very wealthy creep named Victor Ziegler. And he's played by Sidney Pollack, the famous Sidney Pollack. I just want to say that I hold this movie personally responsible for the unbelievable ick factor of hearing Sidney Pollack say the word pussy. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. Just just going to say that ruined, the man has had a startling and stunning career. That ruined it all for me. <laughs> yeah, that was enough to give it an X rating as far as I'm concerned. Don't have Cindy Pollock say pussy. It's very jarring. He's our granddad. Cut it out. Yeah. Plus, I have to say, we're going to talk about this, like the nude equity in this film being so off, it's like unreal. Oh. The idea that the only time you really see any kind of male nudity is also Sydney Pollock. And I'm like, that is so fucked up. <laughs> 
They're giving us nothing. Zero. Um, They're giving us nothing. They're dismantling this man's entire life and career (laughs) and giving us nothing in the process. Justice for Sidney Pollack. Justice for my goddamn ears and eyes. 100%. Oh, my God. Okay, so so you've got this, like, married couple at this rich guy's party. They're off kind of flirting with other people almost immediately. Like, Alice is dancing with this, like, older Hungarian guy who kind of looks like a John Wick villain. And she's, do you, did you notice that everyone seems, especially Alice, seems to be talking very slowly. Like the first 40 minutes of this movie could have taken place in 10 minutes if everyone just picked up the pace a little bit. I know. I was like, were they off like snorting horse tranquilizers before <laughs> this ball? Like what's happening? What was their pregame? Because it was like, I'm like, I'm bad at flirting, but I know not to do that. Oh, 100%. And there are some stylistic choices that I think that Kubrick made in this movie and has made in his other movies that I think he thought was mysterious, but then sometimes comes across as just weird. Just like, why is that happening? Well, yeah. Also comes across as like, have you ever met a human woman? Like a human woman flirting and in her reverie is not rolling her eyes in the back of her head and talking like a wind-up doll that has its no batteries. Yeah. Well, and like, we'll get to this in a second because I feel like you could pull a easily pull a ripcord about all of this too. So uh, again, you're going to have to rein me the fuck in because I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> so Alice is dancing with the Hungarian guy. Bill is flirting with these like two young models, right? And they're basically like, we want to take you upstairs and fuck your brains out. And he's just like, I mean, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm like, <laughs> that would have happened. However, Victor, his, one of his little henchmen comes down and it's like, excuse me, sir, we need you in the bathroom upstairs because my boss has just had sex with some random woman She's naked on a chaise lounge, overdosing on a speedball. So we need your help. In, in a bathroom bigger than nine of my apartments combined. Yeah. This bathroom has a couch, has two couches, two end tables with lamps. Yeah. It, it's the biggest bathroom I've ever seen in my life. In a New York City apartment. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick was all about those bathrooms, as you might know. If you were if you are an astute observer of his filmography, but even I was like, yo, this bathroom is wild. Like, there's a giant painting of a naked lady, like beaver out. There's there's like there's- end tables in a bathroom. How is this possible? How rich is this guy, Victor? For Christ's sake, how do you have twenty foot ceilings and end tables in your fucking bathroom where you take shits? <laughs> well, I will ar- also argue that. All of the rich people in this movie are Christmas assholes, just generally, so. Absolutely. So, yeah, okay, this is a lot already, right? You, you're, you like, immediately right off the bat, you're like, Bill and Alice run with a real weird crew. This is a weird crew. But also, what's up with them? Are they swingers? Are they seeing other people? Are they going through a rough patch? Like, you don't know, right? So... At the same time, before right before the speedball episode happens, Bill sees a former medical school pal named Nick Nightingale, and he's played by Todd Field, mm-hmm. who we've talked about before. He's the uh, director of Tar, and 
he's been in a cu- couple movies. He he directed uh, Little Children, right? Yep, and, and he's been in a lot of Nicole Holofcener movies. Absolutely. You definitely know. You definitely know who he is. So he didn't finish medical school. He is now a jazz piano player. And they're like, hey, buddy, how's it going? And he's like, oh, I'm a jazz piano player now. Come and see me in the village later if you're around, you know? That's another interesting point, too. This movie is supposed to be set in New York City, but it was actually filmed in London. Ugh. And they built... A New York City set at Pinewood Studios in the UK, which is like so. I think that contributes to the uncanniness of this film. Yeah, it's um, egregious. Yeah, and it's so obvious. Yeah, it is obvious that it's not in New York. It looks like it's a back lot, by the way. So, okay, here's where the film starts getting juiced up. Okay, so after this party, Bill and Alice go home. They get into their see-through pajamas <laughs> and they smoke a joint. Okay. And you Alice, don't ever see, you don't ever see Bill smoking. They are on Alice the whole time because God forbid you see Tom Cruise smoking yeah. in a film. Yeah, that you're post Scientology. Right. Like yeah. post Scientology, I don't think he ever did, he would ever do it. Yeah. Alice is stoned as hell, by the way. And she's like, you can film me smoking all fucking day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll argue later that I feel like Nicole is the one that went hard in this movie, and Bruce pretty much the only one. Yep. Um, but we'll save that for for a moment. But uh, so Alice is stoned as hell. She goes in on Bill hanging out with like these two young models at the party. They start to have an argument. Bill says some fairly ignorant things about how. Wives and mothers are so bound to their duties that they would never cheat on their husbands and that he never has to be jealous or worried about his wife because she's such a dutiful mom. And she's like, let me rock your goddamn world. Right. And she is definitely on that chronic because she basically tells him. (laughs) She tells him in return. Well, guess what? Once, I saw this hot sailor, and I dreamed about having sex with him and leaving our entire family. That was the hard, the, the most hardcore part for me, where she's like, I would have given up literally everything for one night with this dude. Our child, our life, everything. So, that is the inflection point of this film, is that she says, I wanted to fuck this guy so bad I would have left you and our daughter. And Bill spins the fuck out by this stoned conversation, by the way, that this is the story for the rest of this film, is that he's like, holy shit, why would you say that? You know? That is the ultimately the thing that you're like, what? Oh, my stoned-ass wife said some weird <laughs> shit to me. <laughs> some weird and very human shit. Yes. She didn't say she went and fucked this guy. She said she thought about it. Right. Guess what? If you're married, you are not dead. You still have desires. You still think about other people. You probably don't act on it, and that's fine. Yes. I'm not... I don't know why I sound so upset that people aren't cheating on each other. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine but it's like a human emotion like you still have desire yeah and fantasy and you have your own fantasy life and i don't think everything needs to be shared 
with your partner. And this is the classic fucking example of why. Because this man couldn't handle it to the point where he almost contracted HIV (laughs) to prove his point about how fucking insane this made him. Yes. So here's how the rest of the movie basically goes from this conversation, okay? He gets a call in this moment from the daughter of one of his patients who apparently has just died. So he goes to this house in the middle of the night, and this daughter is like, I'm sad, my dad is dead, but then immediately starts coming on to Bill in front of her dead father. And as a viewer, you're like, what the hell? Did they have an affair? Like, what's going on? Is she grieving so much that she's you know, coming on to him. No, no, no. It's that literally Bill, as a character, is exuding so much sexual energy that everybody that he runs into wants to have sex with him. Like, man, woman, young, old. And it happens the entire movie. And we're talking about Tom Cruise. (laughs) Who, by the way, in the beginning of this film, when they have a little sexy moment with Nicole Kid, he has a little sexy moment with Nicole Kidman. And it's like watching a brother and a sister touch. Like, it is the least appealing, enticing, sexy thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. That is something that has come up in a lot of the criticisms about this film. I mean, there was even rumors that they were like, that they had hired like sex therapists to be on set to be like, hey, married couple, perform married couple things. And they were like, no, we can't. We're too famous. And, you know, something like that. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how much like is in is in this film that is something to think about. But I, this entire idea that Bill is like, this just this sexual lightning in a bottle type of thing. It's, it's like, I can't figure out if it's, Funny or ridiculous. I have no idea. <laughs> so after this scenario of, of, of going to see this grieving daughter, he leaves the house and he's like walking around New York in the middle of the night. It's a very after hours-esque situation for him. And he's sitting there trying to come to terms with the fact that he wants to get revenge on his wife. For having a thought. For having <laughs> a thought, for being too fucking high and having weird stoner thoughts. Okay. You already understand that every citizen in America wants to sleep with him. And in spite of all this information, he absolutely cannot have an affair if he tried. <laughs> like, something happens every time. Like, and he is out there trying real hard to make it happen. He's oh, pulling God. the doctor card. He's like, I'm a doctor. Did you know that? Like, gives him a clearance to, like, go anywhere and do anything. And he still fails. He pulls that that doctor card, literal literal doctor card, like he's a policeman pulling a badge. Yes. He pulls it like every five seconds in the movie. Like, P.S., I'm a doctor. Here's my proof. And you're like, who needs that? Right. And that is something that I think the film, that I do think is really great about this film, is the idea that he is just really bad at getting laid. Like, he just can't mm-hmm. do it. And th- there's all this evidence that he should and could, but nope, he, it just, it ain't happening for him. So, His desperation gets so insane that it brings him back to Nick, right? Because he's like, oh, Nick's playing jazz at a club that it's not in London, but is actually in Greenwich Village. And Nick's like, hey, buddy, listen, I got to split in a few. I'm going to this weird party. I got to perform there in a blindfold. But I will tell you that there are hot women there. (laughs) So horny-ass Bill is like, 
I want to go to this party now so badly that I'm going to wake up a dude in the middle of the night that owns a costume shop so I can get this outfit to wear to this party. Oh, God. I'm going to wake up a stranger. Yes. I've had two failed attempts. My wife called during my attempt to have sex with a sex worker. Yeah. And ruined that. So now I'm just going to rely on my jazz buddy. <laughs> like I'm a fucking 1950s dude from Santa Barbara. <laughs> looking to get their kicks. Yeah. We go to my jazz buddy. Yeah. And this costume shop where this guy is like, Pay me what you have to just basically this guy is just like, give me all your fucking money and I'll give you this weird costume. Like, I don't care. Yeah. And don't mind my weird young daughter, Lily Sobieski, in the corner being, you know, fucked by these two Japanese guys or something. I mean, it's just so like that Ugh. part to me is so I don't even know what to think about that. Those characters. I'm like, that is that's a little like distracting, to be honest. Um, and it wasn't thought through. Like, it could have been a much more different pressure point in that movie, but it was not carefully thought through. And I feel like her humanity wasn't considered at all. And it just wasn't necessary because it wasn't, it didn't feel like a fully realized scene, even though we do come back to those characters at some point. Like, it doesn't feel fully realized. So right. I could have done without it. Well, and there there might be some thoughts I have about that in just a second when I kind of pull this all together, because ultimately it's a lot of information you're going through, right? So Bill is now in a tuxedo, a black floor-length cloak, and a carnival mask, and he straight up walks into this giant house in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, where people are also wearing robes and masks, and they are having essentially this ritualistic after-hours orgy. It is like, a, a lot of time has passed since I've seen this part, and I gotta say, this shit looks like an A24 witch movie <laughs> right now. Like, I'm like, in the modern era, I'm like, oh, everybody's talking backwards, and there's like a dude with one of those like Catholic mass incense, incense burners. things where he's like swinging it around on a chain and it's kind of to me like it's supposed to be creepy it's supposed to be sexy it slightly is but mostly now it just seems kind of corny to me absolutely and maybe this is post-lockdown talk pandemic speak it looks filthy (laughs) Like, the surfaces, the place itself looked filthy besides the people in it and what they were doing. I'm like, you got to wipe some surfaces. Yeah. I need to see some people there with buckets and mops. Like, something else needs to be going on here. Yeah. Orgies now, in my mind, I'm like, mm, looks kind of gross. Yeah. Looks like you need a lot of hand sanitizer to get through that experience. Yeah. No condoms anywhere and no black people anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was looking this time. I'm like, forget the titties and the sex happening. I'm not even, like, phased by that shit anymore. Where are my Black people? Where is a Latina? Give give me something. No, that is, again, it's just these rich white elites throwing (laughs) their fucking end of the remake of Suspiria party. (laughs) And I'm like... What the fuck is this? And Bill is, okay, and here's the other thing, too. Lots and lots of drama behind this party. This naked lady shows up and tells Bill, listen, you gotta leave before anybody finds out you're here. You're gonna be in deep danger. Which seems very dramatic, where I'm like, 
Are they really killing people? Are they really going to kill somebody that's not supposed to be at the orgy? Oh, God. And they're all wearing masks. It's yes. not like he can go out, run out to the fucking New York Daily News and identify anybody. Shit, the fucking Grinch could be in one of those. Like, who cares? <laughs> no one knows anybody. No one is. You're just seeing floppy boobs. You're not seeing anybody's face. Oh, and no. And this, this is, again, this is the part where I realized there is zero nude equity in this movie, which pisses Absolutely. me off. Like, I'm like, okay, so all the women in this party are in thongs only. And the men are in floor-length cloaks. And tuxedos. Even during the sex scene. How are you going to have an orgy and not see dong? <laughs> in this modern day, how are you going to have an actual orgy? People fucking everywhere, every which way. And you're not seeing a penis. Yeah. No balls. Nothing. Well, and that's... Okay. <laughs> this was definitely this definitely came out before the Dongassance for sure. Oh, this was we were in a pre-Dongassance era. But this is ultimately I think part of what Okay, it's complicated because there's there I I see why people were like is that all there is after this movie came out like we were told that we were this was going to just blow people's minds is this was going to be some like European erotic thriller sex film starring these very, very, very famous people, you know? And I'm like going, it's not even like an Andre Zulowski movie. It's like, you, there's like no male nudity at all. Like, there's no male nudity at all. Like, come so on. Solo went harder. Solo went harder. Come on. Yeah. And not only is there not any male nudity, but they're in floor length black cloaks, like fully clothed. Beyond fully clothed. I mean, the fuck out of here with that. That is just annoying, but you know. But here's the thing. Bill gets busted at this damn party and they try to humiliate him and demask him in a very dramatic way. And at the last second, the you know, the naked lady from before is like, let him go. You can have me. Again, what is the mythology behind this party? We don't really know. The next day, Bill's like, oh shit, what was that party? Let me retrace my steps. Uh, and of course... He's running into brick walls about all of it. There's like nothing to see here. Mind your own business. And guess what? The lady that helped him get out of the party, she's now dead. And Nick Nightingale is gone. Nick Nightingale's gone. So it's like a huge mystery. And it goes from there. Here's what I will say, though. This movie is obviously about male insecurity in my mind. Okay? Here's a guy that's so upset that his wife has sexual needs and desires that he spends an entire evening trying to get revenge, but can't. The idea that we don't see Alice go off and have her own wanton night somewhere in New York. Mm -hmm. The fact that she is at home watching TV and literally eating Snackwells. Do you remember Snackwells? Good Lord. The 90s were a dark time. <laughs> that is, I think, what all you need to know, right? Because I'm, like, 0% interested in Bill getting laid when I watch this movie. Yep. Like, he's a Christmas asshole. He doesn't... And, and, and again, it's kind of this big question of whether or not if Stanley Kubrick had lived, maybe this would have been different. I mean, because he was very known for changing things up until the very last minute. The movie, though, doesn't really interrogate why Bill is so triggered by this 
confession, right. this stoned confession. So we're just left to deal with him at like face value. And all I'm thinking is, you mad, bro? That's all I'm thinking. And she has no agency yeah. at all. She's actually, this is, this movie interrogates male insecurity so much that it feels like she's being punished for having sexual desires and a thought process. Right. That he, the most of the movie is him kind of looking to punish her. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of scenes, though, that are designed to hammer home this point that he's kind of walking around with this wounded male ego. I mean, this frat boy scene, which is so over the top, it's basically like Bill walks past these, like, college guys and they're, like, saying the nastiest stuff about him, you know, being gay and everything. I think that that's on purpose. I think that's basically designed to, you know, again, underscore the point that here's a guy who's so fragile because his wife's like, I want to fuck another dude in my head. And now he's just walking around wounded. And it's just like, wow. Now, whether or not, whether or not I kind of want to sit in that character all the time in a movie this long... (laughs) is another for another time but it really is though what you just said it just feels like almost punitively not Alice's story right exactly. ever ever and he's intent on ruining christmas for her and their child <laughs> because he's upset Again, that she had a thought. I'm never getting over that. I'm never getting over the fact that he was pissed off that she had a goddamn thought and told him in a moment of honesty fueled by pot. We've all been there. (laughs) We've all, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) It's astonishing. It's an astonishing, almost masturbatory experience to watch this because I do not care about this dude. Yeah. Enough, and they haven't done the work in the film, possibly in the the short story. I don't know. I haven't read it. Yeah. Um, or in the novel, I should say, but not in the film. They have not done enough work to make me want to sympathize or empathize with Bill. Right. And I think that part of the, and I could be wrong because I've never read the original text, but I think it's supposed to be designed as a as a dream state, right? Because you're basically like. And and that's what I mean about a ripcord, right? You're like going, okay, so um, maybe this is all in Bill's head. Maybe we're watching a dream that Bill is having about, like, his response to this, um, you know, bummer information that his stoned-ass wife gave him. But I don't know. There's not enough setup for me to, to, to sympathize with him. And there's the idea that Tom Cruise is playing him, too, which is sort of like... I don't know, at points kind of like, that's maybe why also I don't like him, but also interesting Mm. that it's him because, you know, Tom Cruise is just such an alpha male in our culture and, you know, he's like fucking Maverick from Top Gun. Is it funny to watch Maverick not get laid in a movie? That's kind of amusing to me. But I think there's just so much to talk about in this movie because that's the thing is that, like, I think the reason why people hated it so much when it came out is because everybody wanted to believe that these world-famous actors, like, oh my God, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were going to be naked and having graphic sex. And, you know, they're doing something so... They're working with Stanley Kubrick. Like, what an auteur. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way that they were going to have graphic sex 
Even working in Europe with Kubrick. There's no way. They're too famous for that. And if you feel betrayed that they they didn't, like, star in a porn for you, then sorry. Check yourself. Yeah. But it's (laughs) it's like, yes, I, I think that that contributes to the mythology is the idea that they didn't go as hard as they probably should have. I mean, we'd be having a different conversation if Tom Cruise showed Dong. Let's get serious. If he was if bold Absolutely. enough to show that dong. But th- that's just me being a student of like, you know, cult and exploitation films, though, is that like, you know, to me, I was like, it's, this is not even showgirls, right? Yeah. This is something else. I think it's, you know, a very creepy and uncanny film, obviously, but I think Kubrick made those movies. Yeah. Um, you know, the lighting, the the slow tracking of this film is weird. Um, you know, it the, takes I, itself so seriously. It's like it could not take itself more seriously. I think that's one of the pitfalls of creating this air of mystery around your work is that it's never going to live up to what people's expectations or uh, fantasies or you know what what they can conjure up in their own head. Yeah. So it's a real, and he he does that like he did that himself by conjuring up so much mystery around how he was filming and who he was filming with that it kind of naturally lent itself to this lack of transparency. And then when people are always going to be disappointed by whatever you give them, even if Tom and Nicole did do a porno, it would have been disappointing in some way because the rest of the film, aside from those tentatively sexy moments, was about him only. So it was always going to fail in my mind, uh, you know, when pushed up against what the public was imagining. Right, and like, this is a pre-internet era. If this movie was made now, this we wouldn't even be talking about any of this. I mean, it's just, we're so f- further down the field at this point when it comes to erotic thrillers or, you know, this type of kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know, this type of big, huge, talked about tentpole type of film, right? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I don't think he would have been able to get away with the mystery as much in the modern era as he was back then. Like I said, I think we were in a different era sort of culturally about sex and about sort of, you know, what we expected from celebrities and everything like that. I mean, I don't know. It's just, to me, as much as there are parts of this movie that I don't really like as as much, I do think as a overall experiment, it's an interesting text. Like, I'm like, okay, like... So I guess this is what would happen if Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise thought that they were Charlotte Rampling and Dick Bogart in a European art film or something. You know what I mean? Like, this is about as close as we're going to get. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But even even and maybe that's, that's a little bit cloying to me. Like, that's a little bit cloying to me is that, like, you, this this idea of, like, we are the biggest superstars on the planet, but we still want to be artsy and unknown and be able to do things that indie artists can do is so unrealistic. Mm, yeah. And it's kind of like, and part of me wants to say like, you know, not that they shouldn't have done this film. Again, I think Nicole Kidman was amazing in this movie. Me too. Um, I don't think they should, they should have backed away from the film, but I think they should have known or been able to translate to us somehow that, they always knew they were going to be limited limited by their own superstardom. Yeah. 
And I think it's it's unrealistic to think that you can do this kind of film at that level of where they were culturally at that point. Yeah. And think people were going to give you that that leeway to be more independent and creative and yeah. you know, and not even creative, but just like I don't think that the the world was ever going to give them what they thought they were going to, the grace that they thought they were going to give them. Because you're not indie artists anymore. You're the the highest paid actors in the fucking world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it felt like, it felt like Tom Cruise was way more transgressive in Interview with the Vampire than he was in this movie. Totally. I mean, I think the idea that this film comes from his perspective and it's so his perspective and he's so unlikable in this character is interesting. Obviously, but it's but it's also yeah. I mean, this listen. I could truly go on about this. I think I've established many Christmas assholes. I think I've obviously made the case that Bill is a Christmas asshole. Victor is definitely a Christmas asshole. His Absolutely. whole like cavalier bullshit speech at the end of the movie about that lady dying. I'm just like, holy shit. Sidney Pollock went off the rails, like in every stretch. Like he is. Gone. Um, I was very thankful for Michael Clayton when it came out because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, thank you for redeeming Sidney Pollock in my goddamn eyes. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Like, again, th- wh- like, I probably had too much to say about this movie this week, but I, I, we had to tackle it because it was just something that was like, once I put it on the table, I think we were like, oh, yeah, we got to, we got to do this movie for Christmas because it's a Christmas classic. And uh, it's an, an, an unforgivable choice for Christmas assholes, <laughs> but it fits. It works so well. I'm so glad you chose it. This is, I would say this is my hereditary, but I'd seen it before. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you through that trauma, by the way. Uh, but that that is also my bottom line is this is not a good movie. I hate that this is Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick's last movie because it ain't good. Mm. Yeah. Flat out. If you're going to say, if you're going to minimize it to like one sentence, this is not a good film. It's an interesting film. It's a funny film. It's an infuriating film. It is not good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mixed bag too. I definitely think it's interesting. I definitely think it's, um, it's, it's almost fun to dissect in a lot of ways. I'm not sure where I fall in terms of like my passion for it. Like I, I'm probably like down the middle. I'm glad I saw it again. I know that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also, you know, sometimes I think giant fucking weird thought experiments are valuable. So. Absolutely. There you go. You know. Absolutely. I'm glad we watched it. Biggest Christmas assholes I think <laughs> we've ever done. We've ever tackled. There's just so many. The richest, whitest Christmas assholes probably ever. Rivals the McAllister clan. <laughs> So, well, my pick for Christmas Assholes was released in 1988. It was based on the book Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, which I did not know. Mm. Uh, The screenplay is by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza. It was directed by John McTiernan. My movie is Die Hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Now, this movie, in my mind kicked off the larger cultural conversation about what constitutes a Christmas film. Mm, absolutely. 
Yep. So I think that like you were having that conversation earlier. A few people in film were having that conversation earlier where you were like, if it has a Christmas tree in it, it's a Christmas movie. This was kind of the kickoff of a Christmas film that is not a family-friendly film on its fr- front facing, uh-huh. like on its on its front. So it's a classic for many reasons. Almost everyone has seen it. I don't need to dissect the film for you because if you haven't seen it, you won't understand what I'm saying because it's over the fucking top. Mm. A one-sentence synopsis, a New York City cop lands in L.A. to have Christmas with his estranged family and gets caught up in a terrorist plot (laughs) that has him running around a building in L.A. with no shoes and no shirt, trying to take on a team of 12 by himself. (laughs) Like, what? What? I I really want to ask you something up top. Because yeah. I could not stop thinking about this this time. I haven't seen this movie in a while. The barefoot thing. I mean, I forgot how he became barefoot. So when I watched that Me scene, too. I was even more upset. Because I'm like, that motherfucker absolutely had time to throw on a pair of shoes before he started running around this building like fucking Rambo. Yeah, I mean, this he could have easily started in the French Connection for Popeye's hammer toe. <laughs> moment where I was like I remembered him being barefoot when I was a child I remember the barefoot thing but then I was like like you completely forgot how he got barefoot which now is ridiculous by the way the whole reason why he's barefoot in the moment but then I'm like why was that a choice why did that film make that choice for him to be barefoot I'll tell you why, in my opinion, it's for that one fucking scene at the end. That is such a Hollywood-ass move where they're like, wouldn't this be cool if we had this dude having to, like, crawl over broken glass with no shoes on? And then they probably reverse-engineered it to him going to his wife's office and taking a fucking sponge bath in a sink after a long flight. And some weirdo sitting next to him on his flight said, you know what's great for jet lag is you take your shoes off and you curl up your toes like little fists and then you don't have jet lag anymore. One, that is pure bullshit. That's not how jet lag works on a human brain and body. But that you could just see the moves. It was so reverse engineered yeah. so that he could be barefoot for that one fucking scene. I, I had to get your take as a screenwriter about that. Because I was like, it definitely seems reverse engineered. But to like, why? The, po- the, the payoff doesn't seem that great, I guess. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't. That's the other thing. They do all this shit and it's not even worth the fucking payoff. <laughs> and in the meantime, the other two hours of this movie, because I forgot also that this movie is like two and a half hours long. Damn, yeah, me too. So the other two hours of this fucking film, you're just watching this man thinking like, I hope his feet are very calloused because (laughs) otherwise this is impossible for him to be slipping around these slick ass fucking office floors with no shoes on. No, at at one point I would have realized the scenario. I'd have been like, okay, there's a terrorist plot unfolding in the hallway. Let me put the shoes on real quick, just because you never know. Uh, this is an office building. This is a public arena. What if there's, you know, germs? And this ain't even my office. This ain't even my office. <laughs> but no, he continued to just run barefoot throughout this entire movie. I always think that's so 
fucking funny. Anyway, I had to t- I had to ask. Thank you. Just such a fucking choice. So <laughs> he shows up and is in he's, he's he has been sent a limo. So he's got this big overstuffed, you know, teddy bear and he's coming to see his kids and he's talking to the limo driver um played by Devereaux White. Uh, the limo driver's name is Argyle, and he becomes crucial to the plot as well, mm. eventually. But he's just kind of talking all this shit and is like, I'm not exactly divorced. We're not exactly split up. And Argyle calls it right off the bat. He's like, so basically your wife has a career that you didn't think was going to take off. So you didn't make any effort to move here and support her. <laughs> and that's also the basis of the fucking film. The, oh, my God. I So... I think John McClane off the bat is a Christmas asshole for that. Oh my God. Yes. I was like, I was surprised that that was the setup in a weird way. Again, I hadn't seen this in a long time, but I was like, oh, he's, I mean, we could call this episode, you mad, bro? Like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) both of our films could have qualified for Baby Girl, What Is You Doing? Just so many weird decisions here based on male fragility. Yes, I was like, why is he fucking so pressed about her having a damn job? But anyway. And a great job. So she's working at fucking Nakatomi Plaza in the Nakatomi building, (laughs) Nakatomi Corporation. Mm. And she's like the head of corporate affairs. She has a great ass job. And again, cast is great. So John McClane is Bruce Willis. Um, His wife, Holly... Gennaro McLean is played by Bonnie Bedelia. 80s royalty, great actress. We love Bonnie Bedelia. Yes. Also the name, Bonnie Bedelia. Come on. Beautiful. And he's also pressed when he shows up. So he shows up in the after, like, you know, late early afternoon, late evening, and they're kind of having their Christmas party. And he's pressed when he shows up because he has to sign in and he looks for his wife's name on this old tech computer that made me want to fucking puke. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks for his name or name under McLean. And realizes that she is now going by her maiden name, Gennaro. Yeah. And he's already, so he's already pressed. Yep. The, 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 the male fragility is already on full display. Oh, right out the gate. Yep. So he gets up there and takes his little sponge bath in her executive bathroom. And she's like, I guess I'm glad that you're here. You should stay with me and the kids. Don't stay out in fucking Pomona. <laughs> It'll take you. 800 years to come see us. Like, you'll be spending your whole vacation in the car. Right. So they're kind of starting to patch things a little bit, or at least she's trying to make some headway to like, yeah, we can at least talk. And I know the kids want to see you, so come to the house. Right. She leaves because she's got this coked up fucking coworker, Ellis, who gets killed so hard eventually, and you can't wait for it. (laughs) He's the fucking worst. (laughs) Hey, this is a man who's doing bumps of coke during a hostage crisis. (laughs) So when he goes, you're like, thank God. So she's out with her folks, enjoying the party, doing her thing. He's in the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, this truck pulls up and these hot, these terrorists get out and they lay waste to the first 29 floors because they have a nerd with them. The nerd is Theo. He's their tech guy, uh, played by Clarence Gilliard Jr. And Theo is like, look, there are like six locks on this thing. And... We also need a computer code, and I can do it, but it's going to take like two and a half, three hours. So they put a clock on it immediately. 
right? Like, right. this is how long it's going to take. So you know how long John McClane is going to have to run around this fucking building. Right. But they come in, lock down the elevators from the 29th floor down, lock the fucking lobby. They're pulling gates down. Everything's just locked down. They have one particular maniac with them, Carl, played by Alexander Godunov, who plays a villain in every 80s movie he's ever been in. <laughs> yeah, truly. Including The Money Pit. Um, <laughs> he shows up, and he is so impatient to get this role in that he slices through five giant fiber optic cables with a fucking chainsaw while his brother's trying to, like, carefully wire it at the bottom. And he's like, nope. <laughs> so sloppy. It's just a sloppy dude, you can tell. Just the sloppiest fucking terrorist you've ever seen. <laughs> and this group is being led by Hans Gruber, who's played by the iconic Alan Sidney Patrick Rickman. Rest oh. in peace, King. Wow. He died in 2016 at the age of 69 because he's a fucking legend. Yeah. He also had pancreatic cancer, but he's a fucking legend. He's like, I'm going out at 69. What's up? I'm sexy forever. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Alan Rickman, this is kind of my introduction to him as a child. Like, this is my Me introduction too. to Alan Rickman. I know so many people who are younger than us know him as Severus Snape, and he's been in so many movies, like, you know, Truly Medley Deeply and blah, Hitchhiker's Guide. Like, he's done... Dogma, he's just done so many fucking great movies in his career. But for me, this was the intro to Alan Rickman. Me too. And he was terrifying and sexy from the minute I heard him. I'm like, the voice is saying one thing, the face is saying another thing. I don't know how to feel. I'm a child. I have not been introduced to Kevin Klein yet. You imprinted on him so fast. So fast. So fast. Um, and he comes in and he's like, you know, dressed to the fucking nines. And he's like, look. And this is going to maybe, this is typical for me in a Christmas asshole scenario where I flip the script on who's the real villain. I know he's the villain in the film, right. obviously. Right. I mean, he shoots someone in the head point blank at least three times. <laughs> like, he is the villain. But if you pay attention to when he first introduces himself to these terrified people at this holiday party, he says, basically, we are here because the Nakatomi Corporation has been doing great evil in the world, and we are here to correct that. And the way they're going to correct it is by stealing $640 million in bearer bonds. Mm. Now, between the movie Heat and this movie, I had to look up what the fuck a bearer bond was. <laughs> like, why are people <laughs> why are people going to such lengths to steal these pieces of paper? Yeah. And basically what I found out is that bearer bonds have no registration. So it's not like a like even like a traveler's check. Wow. Like they're issued to companies and governments and they can be sold. But the owner is the owner of the piece of paper is the owner of the money, basically. Wow. It's kind of like a, they, like a prototype for Bitcoin or something. And there's no, no trace, no trace, <laughs> no trace. Like if you hold the paper, then you got the money. So wow. that's why they're in the game. But I think his. I think his, his actual agenda is pretty altruistic sure yes he kills people but if you made that movie now he would be a robin hood style villain right it's kind of like the point break scenario where it's like oh these guys yep. are you know robin rich people but you know it's because they're not truly evil in that like traditional way there's a, a good end to it supposedly right exact exactly and then you kind of get his point when he takes 
Takagi, who's kind of the, the big boss of the Nakatomi Corporation in this in, in L.A., he takes him up to his office, and if you look outside of his window, he just casually has a bunch of, like, terracotta fucking warriors out there. <laughs> like, the fucking terracotta army from the first emperor of China that they unearthed. <laughs> like, he's just got five of them hanging out in front of his fucking windows in Century City. <laughs> So you're like, who's the real villain here? <laughs> Who is the real villain? Corporate greed um, is the real villain. Come on. Corporate greed is one of the many Christmas assholes yes. in this film. <laughs> More so than Hans Gruber, even though that is one of the best villain names of all time. I don't know why. Yeah. I feel like everyone in this movie is named Hans. It's great. Yeah. So we have this scenario now where, yes, there are terrorists taking over this building. Yes, they're messy. Yes, there's a lot of them, but John McClane is like, I'm a New York fucking police officer. I can take this. I can do this. I'm, I'm at least going to try. And I have to say that in the past, I did not find his antics charming in the least. Mm. Even as a child, I'm like, what is happening? Why is this man taking this on? Yeah. This time around, it felt a little bit funnier to me. It felt a little bit more like, Oh yeah, of course he's going to try. Like what he literally has nothing to lose. Right. Like he's not sure if he has a family, he's not sure where he belongs in the world. He has nothing to lose. Sure. Sure. So of course he's going to run around this building with no fucking shoes on and his white tank top. <laughs> that by the end of the movie is pitch black. <laughs> and of course he's going to use his guns and fucking fire hoses and all kinds of things to start rappelling through windows and down elevator shafts. Of course he is. What does he have to lose? He's a sad dad at Christmas with nothing to lose and a gun. So he's running around this building like a maniac. I would pose that the next and biggest Christmas asshole in this movie is the fucking LAPD. Oh, my God. I cannot take it. <laughs> <laughs> the goddamn LAPD loses again. They are the biggest assholes in this movie as far as I'm concerned. Oh my god. I was like, what a bunch they of macho like, fucking dicks. <laughs> oh my god. They received no less than three distress calls before they sent one goddamn car that was piloted by Carl Winslow. Reginald Bell Johnson <laughs> is who they send to this gigantic 40-floor fucking office building when they're like, hey, shit's happening here. And everyone's like, ah, I don't think so. Why don't we send that guy? Like, that can't really be something happening. Just ignoring the distress calls. McLean is on the walkie-talkie like, hey, there's shit going down. I'm a New York police officer. And they're like, sir, this line is for emergencies only. And he's like, what the fuck do you think this is? Yeah. LAPD absolute Christmas assholes in this movie. Yeah. And they send, look, they send, they send Reginald Bell Johnson, who's playing this character named Sergeant Al Powell, and he's doing his best. And he's doing his best in the face of some real fucking cocks. Yeah. Okay. We have Paul Gleason, quintessential 80s dickwad, oh who's God. playing his boss. And he shows up and he's like, uh, stop talking to that dude who's the only person in the building who actually knows what's going on and making any sense. Don't talk to that dude. I got this. So Powell is like, rolling his eyes throughout half of his scenes because he's like, these motherfuckers ain't listening to me either. They just refuse to listen to people. Then the FBI shows up and they're pissed that the FBI shows up. And I'm like, you didn't even want to do this job. <laughs> How are you pissed that somebody else is coming in to take over? You didn't even want the goddamn assignment. Oh my God. Huge assholes. 
followed only by, so, so far, I think John McClane's a little bit of a Christmas asshole because the reason he's there is his pure misogynistic intentions. Yes. That have ruined his own life. Yes. Asshole. LAPD, assholes. Mm -hmm. Hans Gruber, murderer, not a Christmas asshole as far as I'm concerned. I like that. I like that a lot. The last and final asshole that I will present to you in Die Hard is a lovely little asshole who is part of a news channel and is played by William Atherton, (laughs) another solid 80s dickwad playing this fucking broadcaster called Thornburg. And he's the He's indignant because he's the only one who thinks that anyone should be down there covering this. So he's first on the scene. But this motherfucker goes to such lengths to get this story that he shows up at Holly Gennaro McLean's house, threatens her fucking nanny, Paulina, with deportation so he can talk to the children on live TV and ask them to basically give their last words to their parents on live TV. Yeah. This guy's a cock of epic proportions. Oh, he is too wild. Like, there's a point where you have too much ambition and you need to check yourself. That's this guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ambition is outweighing his common ass sense. (laughs) And he puts these goddamn children on TV in robes. They're asleep. They're dead asleep. They don't even know what's happening. They don't know that both of their parents are involved in a hostage situation. Yeah. It's like, get in front of this camera and just be like, hello, daddy, I love you. What will your last words be to your parents be? What? I'm five and I just woke up from a slumber where I thought Santa Claus was going to be the next fucking face I saw. <laughs> Traumatic. So yes, absolutely Thornburg is 100% a Christmas asshole. The movie's hilarious. We all know what it is. And if you don't, go ahead and watch it from start to finish. It's free on a bunch of different services right now. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that this this is the basis for a multi-film franchise. Oh, yeah. And it's all because John McClane was mad that his wife had a better career than he did. <laughs> so true. That's the basis of Die Hard franchise. And I don't think, I don't know if anyone's talked about it before. Yeah. But that's where I'm going. I know a lot of, a lot of people have covered this film in podcasts and in critiques. But that's my two cents is that I think this wouldn't have existed if John McClane could have just been a better fucking dude and realized that his wife had a great job that he should support. Yeah, I mean, both in both of our movies, it's like, one, the guy is mad that his wife has a better job than him. The other, the guy is mad that his wife got stoned and said some weird shit. I mean, it's like the entire movie hinges on these two things. It's so wild. I also want to say this for the record. It... it <laughs> In the same way, potentially, that I had no idea that the Michelin company existed or had longevity and was tied to Michelin guides, okay? I didn't realize that they were French and that I thought they were from Michigan, okay? (laughs) For the longest time, starting when I was a kid and I saw this movie as a child, I totally thought this movie was a sponsored Sears Roebuck Company film. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, Why? Like, I thought Die Hard was like the Mac and me of the Sears Roebuck Company. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, this is like a sponsored Sears film. Why? What is happening? 
thought process. Because Die Hard, like Die Hard the, the is brand a brand. Die Hard was a brand that I only remember from Sears from when I was a child in the eighties. I can't. And I was like, oh, so I guess Sears decided <sighs> to make an action movie, and it stars the guy from Moonlighting. I love your little kid brain <laughs> so much. It took me like, a long time to realize it wasn't, though, right? I guess the guy in the Seagram's fucking coolers ads <laughs> is now working for Sears full time. <laughs> and I and I think they named the movie Die Hard because it was like a common brand name in this era. Right. But I just totally thought it was a corporate sponsored film. Like I didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> well, the, the book is called Nothing Lasts Forever. That's a far trip from Nothing Lasts Forever to get to die hard. <laughs> yeah. Also, why was there never a movie in the franchise called Die Soft? <laughs> die Soft. Die Quiet and Soft in your home when you're 90. <laughs> As you're explaining all your adventures to your children and grandchildren, Princess Bride style. Die Soft. <laughs> Oh my god, dude! I'm so glad that I had to watch this movie again because <laughs> I—it's been a long time, and I was definitely like John McClane is an asshole, a Christmas asshole. Like, I know that there's redemption for him at the end of the film, but I'm also like, he's way mad about his wife. Absolutely, absolutely, furiously upset about all of this. He wouldn't have even been in that goddamn building if he would be a little bit more chill about the fact that she had a career. Yeah. And also he's He'd be got, at home with his kids. Also, he's got that typical New Yorker thing where he's like out in LA going, God, fuck this place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't complain about that at all. I, I was going to say, I feel like you could understand that a little bit more than I could. <laughs> but I also love that he shows up and like lights up everywhere. Like he's smoking in the airport. He's smoking in the car. He's smoking in the building. He's yeah. smoking while he's shooting people. He's smoking everywhere. Yeah. He's like, I'm a fucking diehard New York cop. I will ash all over your goddamn life. <laughs> I will ash all over my children's present. That fucking giant stuffed bear that he brought with him from New York probably smelled, reeked of cigarettes. Oh, I totally thought that. I was like, don't be hugging this bear that you're about to give your kid while smoking a cigarette. And then you, and then that kid's like, oh, my, my giant teddy that smells like a pack of cools. Oh, I have secondhand smoke inhalation just from getting this gift for my dad. <laughs> Who hasn't been here for months because he's mad about my mom being more successful than he is. <laughs> oh, Goddamn my God. love this movie. Full of Christmas assholes. So I think we did it. I think we, we made the case for both of these films being Christmas asshole classics. And uh, I had a fucking blast. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad we do this every year. It always makes me laugh. Me too. I look forward to taking down... Another Christmas classic next year. I know. Only 364 days away. <laughs> um, so we're, we are off for the next two weeks, but here's a couple things before we leave. If you want to email us, we are at asawatchedidpod at gmail.com. Send us short questions for the bonus episodes. We also have a P.O. box if you want to send us handwritten letters. Which you can find on the link tree on our social media. Please find us on our socials at I Saw Pod, 
on Instagram, Blue Sky, and Twitter. Our link tree is in, is linked to our Instagram account. Uh, and you can also leave us a voicemail now to play on the show. All you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone, email it to I saw what you did pod at gmail.com, and please make it 60 seconds or less and record it in a quiet space. And um, we have merch, obviously probably a little too late in time for Christmas, but if you go to exactlyrightstore.com, you can find our Give Me the B of the D t-shirt and black crew neck sweatshirts. And so that's exactlyrightstore.com forward slash collections forward slash I saw what you did. And don't forget our bonus episodes. We have new bonus episodes that drop on the main feed every third Thursday of the month. That is right. Okay. Do you want to give the folks the movies for the episodes that's going to drop after the new year? I do. Next week, we'll be watching Saw from 2004 and Total Recall from 1990. Well, Happy New Year. You're going to hear from us again on January 9th. Uh, Please enjoy the rest of this year. We hope it's less shitty than the start of the year, middle of the year, and end of the year have been. And Danielle, it's always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. It's always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with Casey O'Brien, our producer. Everybody in Exactly Right, all the people that listen. We love our listeners so much. Thank you for hanging in there with us. And uh, we'll be back on the night. Happy New Year! This has been an Exactly Right production, produced by Casey O'Brien. Episode mixing and theme music by Tom Breifogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.